Well, Shadar is an appropriate time to talk about Chizuk in Kabbalah Satira because Adar is known through its holiday of Purim in which Chazal say Kimu Bekiblu, Kimu Mashakiblu Kvar the Kalayasov was Makabal Satira and the way the Rishonim and Midrashim explain it they're talking about Torah Shabbat Peh Kabbalah Torah Shabbat Peh where the Bnei Yisrael were makabit leif shalim. They really wanted it. They really saw how necessary it is. That was in Adra, that was in Purim. So, I'd uh, like to talk a little bit about uh, different things that I learned from my rabbis, Zechitzadik Devacher of Gustman, and uh, that might be helpful for, for all of you as well, uh, as it was helpful for me. So, first of all, I want to uh, I want to emphasize that there is no time in life that a person is has to start learning Torah. A person starts learning Torah when he starts learning Torah, and, and as long as he takes it from there and continues to grow and to proceed in the proper direction, he could reach tremendous heights. Uh, famous. Tanom and Amaram, Rabbi Akiva, who started when he was 40 years old, and Rish Lakish, who had a, 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 a occupation that, that uh, we, we won't even discuss until uh, he was older. It says that Rabbi Yochanan found him and uh, agreed to give him his sister in marriage, as long as Rish Lakish is going to sit and promise to dedicate his life to learning. And uh, he became one of the greatest Amaram in, in the Gemara. And so on and so forth. Even today we have uh, n- numerous Gedoyle Adar that started late in life. It started, whether, whether it's in their teens or, or older, and became true Gedoyle. So h- how does one get there? And, and what do we do in order to reach such, uh, such heights? To, in order to, to have aspirations and, and to make them come true? So... The, the story that uh, comes to mind, of course, is the story of Rebbe Kiva, who who's, uh, married the daughter of Kalba Sabua, who was one of the wealthiest men at the time, of the, around the time of the Chorban. And uh, his wife uh, said that all her life she wanted to marry uh, someone that's going to just be able to sit and learn and dedicate himself to Tyra. That was the way she was raised, even though her father was not necessarily such a person, but he he was a wealthy man, and that's what his uh, dreams were for his daughter's betterment, and, and, and that's what she actually wanted for herself. Now, how did she end up with Rabbi Akiva? Because uh, she saw that Rabbi Akiva had what it takes in order to grow and to become a Godelator, and he promised her that he would dedicate himself to learning. What was it that it takes? It says in the Gemara, there's Senua, Miley, he was modest, and he was very sincere. And uh, that's what he did. He dedicated himself, learned 12 years, and then when he, he came back, uh, he came back home and heard his wife saying, if, uh, if my husband would listen to me, he'd go and learn another 12 years. He went to learn another 12 years, came back after 24 years. And then uh, he was ready to go to Ladar and had loads and loads of Talmudim, thousands of students of his own. Uh, his father-in-law, who didn't recognize him, 
came to ask Ashila. He said, I feel so terrible for my daughter because when she got married to this poor and, uh, and uneducated young fellow, I said that if you marry him, I'm not going to give you a cent from all of my riches. And she said, I don't care. She married him anyhow. And she ended up sleeping in a barn. She lived a, a very, very difficult life. And then her husband went to learn for all those years. And you could imagine that he wasn't uh, the, the bread earner over there. And she wasn't, uh, she, she uh, had a difficult time on her own without her father's help. And she had children. Well, Kaba Sabur felt bad after 24 years of this and said, when he heard that there's a God Ladar coming to town, he said, I have to speak to him. Made an appointment and he came in without recognizing him again and said, look, I made a nether. I made a promise, a nether, that if my daughter marries this person who's so uneducated, she's not going to have a penny from all of my wealth. And I feel so terrible. I see what she's going through. I wish I'd have a way to help her. I know that a chacham, a Talmud chacham, is able to be matter a nether. You could find a way of getting out of a nether, of removing a nether. Uh, is there any way you could find a way for me to get out of this nether so that I could help my daughter? So he said, well, in order to, to take off a nether, I have to find a way to show that you really didn't mean to make a nether under such circumstances. So tell me something. If you would have known that the man that she's going to marry, the man that she's marrying, would be a town, you know, it would be a godl. It would be Adam Godl. Then would you have made the nether? If you'd know that this man that she marries would be Adam Godl, a great man in Tyra, would you have made a nether? And uh, Kalba Sabur said, are you kidding? Even if he'd know one Mishnah, I wouldn't have made a nether. But he didn't know anything. So, Rebbe Kiva revealed himself. He said, well, I am the son-in-law. So, oh, <laughs> that was the best way of taking off the nether. In that case, you certainly are allowed to give your daughter whatever you want because you wouldn't have made the nether under such circumstances. That's the Gemara, the Ksuba Samach Gimel. Tosfus over there asks a strong question. He says, how was Kaaba Sabua able to remove the nether in such a way? We have a rule that Ein Paisin Becharota. You're not allowed, to, the Chocham, who tries to find a way out of the nether and fi- tries to find the circumstance by showing that even right at the time that you made the nether, at the time that you made the nether, if you would have had full knowledge of all the circumstances, you wouldn't have made the nether. Meaning that the Chocham has to find something that the person didn't know at the time that he made the nether. If something comes up afterwards, if after the nether was made, circumstances change, and because of that he wouldn't have made the nether, it's too late. That's not the way the Chacham removes the nether. So how could Rebbe Kiva have said, look at me, am I a Chacham? I'm a Odom Godel. You certainly wouldn't have made a nether if you would have known that your son-in-law would have become Rebbe Akiva, would you? That's not the way to be Mater Nether. You have to be Mater Nether by showing there was a mistake at the time that he made the nether. Now, at the time he made the nether, Rekiva was a total ignoramus. He didn't know anything. He, he didn't have any Torah knowledge at all. Not even one Mishnah, it says. So then, why was he able to remove the nether by saying that if I am your son-in-law, you wouldn't have made the nether? That's not fair. That's not the way that you're supposed to do it. So Tosut gives an answer. And of course, when you used to cite this often, 
that Tzaisvis answers that Terech HaHoylech Lilmoid Shenase Adam Godol meaning that Rabbi Kiva had already promised his wife at the time of the Nedr, apparently, that he was going to learn. Kaba Sabua said, what's, what's going to come out of this fellow? A farmer, he's going to go and he's going to become Muslim. Go, that's what the one my daughter should marry his daughter, obviously, so more than that. But Kaba Sabua knew that his son was going to learn. It says, Taisus, Derech ahoylech lilmod, shenasa odom godo. Meaning, when Rabbi Kiva said, if you would have known that your son-in-law would be a Adam Godel, would you have made the nether? What he meant was, you knew the son-in-law was going to go to learn. What didn't you know? That a person that goes to learn usually becomes an Adam Godel? Well, I'll tell you that a person that goes to learn becomes Adam Godel. Look at me now. So, what we see over here is something absolutely phenomenal. Tosfa says that a person, he was 40 years old, he's going to start learning, and the derech is that a person that goes to start learning becomes an Adam Godel. If he stays in yeshiva and he's serious, he apparently adds the mitos of Rebbe Kiva, that he's sanua and he's serious, he's sincere. So, now that's a tremendous encouragement for all of us, something that we could think of right away, you know, think of in our own lives. That means that if we are going to learn, we're going to yeshiva. What's yeshiva? Yeshiva is a place where people are going to be focusing on learning. And the derech is to come out of Adam Godel. Now, how does that happen? A person goes, right? Not every person that goes to carpentry school comes out a master carpenter. Not every person that plays basketball becomes a, ma- you know, a major league player. So what is it that uh, makes a person so successful when he goes to yeshiva that a normal person that goes to yeshiva becomes Adam Godel. So, we have to know, we have to know what's involved in going to yeshiva. What's it mean? So first of all, Revolbe, uh, as the Chesadik used to give Musr uh, Shmuzin, talks in yeshiva periodically, and Rav Gustav would bring him in, and uh, he quoted at one point, with relation to this Taisvus even, uh, uh, Rashi and Shabbos. The Gemara and Shabbos says that a person is uh, not, right, it says uh, a person is not allowed to think divrei Taira if he goes in a place that has excrement, right, he goes to a bathroom. You're not allowed to think in divrei Taira there even. And we see that in the Pasuk, V'hoya machanecha kadosh. The place where you are staying should be Kadosh. It shouldn't have things that uh, prevent you from learning. Now, where does it say in the Pasuk anything about thinking and learning at the time? It just says that Kadosh. Your machana, your place of encampment, the place where you're staying, should be Kadosh, should be, should be holy, should be ready for holiness. So Rashi says, because Derech Yisrael shemahar harim b'divrei the reason the Torah is saying that your place where you're staying has to be kadosh, it has to be fit for learning, is because people always, Jews are always thinking and learning. They're constantly thinking and learning. If you're constantly thinking and learning, that's what the Torah means when it says that the place where you're sta- staying has to be clean of excrement. Why? Because you're going to be thinking and learning. If you're staying there, if you're staying in a certain place, you're sitting somewhere, you're obviously thinking and learning. So that's why you should not have excrement there. That's how we see that a person cannot even think in learning when there is something inappropriate uh, present at the time. So 
what Rashi is saying is that a person, a Jew, is generally always thinking and learning. If you don't have something else to think about, so then nothing else is, is, has to be on your mind. Now, so, so a person's thinking and learning. And Rav Guzman's message, I mean, that, that we felt so strongly in the yeshiva was that a yeshiva is a place that gives you the opportunity to not have any other distractions, to sit and learn and focus on that and make that your entire life. That's the way that he described whenever he told stories about the yeshiva in Grodno where he learned by Rav Shimon Shkop, yeshivas in Europe. That's what it was. A person would sit and learn and have nothing to distract him and be able to grow through that. My friend uh, Rav Chatzkel Milworm, actually that uh, Talmud, uh, very, it was very close Talmud of Rav Guzman, he told me that uh, when he came to ask Rav Guzman questions, which he thought were very important questions in life that he had to ask, that he had to, he had to clarify them, Rav Guzman w- would wave him off and say, Chatzkel, I don't have time now for for Stuyot, for, for wasting time. I don't have extra time here. Just go sit and learn. Now, these are things that seem to him to be very important. He needed it for, for planning life or for how to re- relate to certain things. And Guzman said, look, basically his message was, if you're going to sit and learn and you're going to focus on that, you'll know the answer. These aren't things that, you're going to, uh, that, that we have to waste time on. And, and uh, even uh, when he would say a shir and come across a, a word in Rashi that he said didn't belong there. Why did Rashi throw in this word? When Rav Guzman learned, he went through, he'd give a shir, he'd read through every word of Rashi, starting with the Gemara, every word of the Gemara on the subject, every word of Rashi, and discuss every word. That is this necessary? What does he mean by this? And how he's supposed to understand that? And then if he'd go through Tysus, if he'd be talking about that, read it all. And when you get to a word that was extra in Rashi, you would say, why did Rashi write this extra word? How did he have time to write an extra word? I don't have extra time. Certainly the Rishonim didn't have extra time. He had time to write this extra word. So th- that was the way that he looked at uh, time in yeshiva and time in learning. I-, I-, I can't count the number of times that he would say after coming across a bi- uh, introducing a hard, a tough question that's asked by the Rishonim or by the Achreinim and that really bothered him and he had a Kiddush to answer it. So many times he would say, So many nights I miss sleep because of this question. Fellas, you have a question? He would say, and you don't lose sleep over it? There's so many nights I went back and forth pacing I was trying to figure this out. Nights and nights and nights that I, that I lost sleep over this question. And this would come up very often. This was something, this is one of his, the, the most uh, used expressions. He would say, share in Lashon HaKadosh. So, that's, that's the way he said it. And uh, one, one uh, story that drives this, uh, that drives this point across very well is a story that he would tell of the Karkura Rav, of Moshe Zaretsky who learned with Rav Guzman in Yeshiva in Grodna, uh, back when, when he was in Europe, when he was learning Yeshiva. Rav Guzman, who I call Rav Shiva, Rav Guzman uh, was very young when he came to the Yeshiva, 11, 12 years old. It was before Bar Mitzvah, even though it was Yeshiva Gedayla. He came very young. I guess things like that happen in Europe. Sometimes you'd have uh, very, uh, very proficient uh, young men that would come when they were young. And his father... 
was game for that. His father was a Talmud. You could call a Talmud of the Chafetz Chaim. He would go to the Chafetz Chaim, and he certainly wanted uh, the most from his uh, his son. Well, when Rav Guzman was there, at one point, this this fellow named Moshe Zeretsky came to the yeshiva. Who was this Moshe Zeretsky? Well, he was actually the son of a farmer who came from a very, very weak background. In the Nevardaki yeshivas, the Talmidim would go during certain seasons, Benazmanim, around to the uh, surrounding areas to speak to the farmers and the other people, the poor people who didn't have much connection to Tyre, and to convince them to send their children to learn Tyre. And apparently this Meisha Zeretsky came to one of the Nevardaki yeshivas uh, through that and uh, started learning. This Meisha Zeretsky was a fellow with a tremendous uh, physical strength. He wasn't very big, but he was very strong and, and his determination was unmatched. His stubbornness, better to call it determination, was, uh, was just something, was a phenomenon. Well, he was 19 years old and he had been for a short while in Nevardic Yeshiva, and he asked the best bacher there, who was uh, later became the stipler, known as the Gon, the stipler, of uh, Chaim Kanyevsky's father, he asked him, who's the, the best Rosh Yeshiva around in the world today? Who's the biggest Rosh Yeshiva? Biggest Rosh Yeshiva? I'm going to learn Torah, I'm going to go to the best Rosh Yeshiva, that's the way to become the, the biggest scholar. So he said, well, the biggest uh, Rosh Yeshiva is probably Rosh Shkap. Well, if he went to Shimon Shkap, he came to Shimon. If Shimon uh, said, I'd like to come to the yeshiva. So Shimon said, okay, good. Talk to you a little bit in learning. So after talking to him a little while, Shimon saw that he's not material for the yeshiva. He, he won't possibly be able to understand the shir. He couldn't even prepare a gemara by himself properly. He said, look, I think he should first learn a little bit by... You know, the, he had uh, Talmidim that gave shir to the younger people, the younger boys in. Afterwards, he could come to the yeshiva and, uh, and you'll be accepted. Right now, I, I really can't accept you at, at this stage. I don't think it's going to be good for you. It's not uh, going to be good for your growth. He said, you're going to try to throw me out? <laughs> he, he wanted to be there. He was going to be there. So, the... Shimon told him, look, I can't, I'm not going to throw you out, but I really can't include you as part of the yeshiva. I can't take responsibility to find you a place to sleep and to find you food. They used to get breakfast, uh, certain meals they gave in the yeshiva. And he said, I can't take responsibility for that. He says, well, I'm going to come to the base medrash and I'm going to sit and learn. So Shimon said, and, and what are you going to gain from that by... You know, he says, I'm going to go listen to the Rosh Shiva Shir. He said, but you're not going to understand it. You, you'll, be, you'll gain something from looking at my nose? He said, yes, I'll gain something from looking at your nose. Okay. He went to the base medrash, and he parked himself there. And he said, I'm not leaving the base medrash. For sleeping, he put his head down, or he lay on the floor in a corner. And uh, for eating... The, he, he wasn't given the allocation that the Bacham were given, the, the piece of bread and the hot drink or whatever that they got in the morning. But the Bacham had Rachmanis. First he would just pick up some crusts or whatever it is that he found around the base medrash that was left over. Some Bacham had Rachmanis. They, bought, they split their piece of bread and gave him some. And he really wasn't on a level of learning. 
But he decided, he was determined, I'm going to find a way to grow. What am I, what's he going to do? So he asked around for the best bacham in the yeshiva. He always went to the top. And he grabbed the best bacham in the yeshiva. He says, say, I want to learn with you. And he had a vice-like grip. <laughs> Pull the fellow over. The fellow would try to say, well, maybe a little later. No, I want to learn with you now. <laughs> he found chavrusas very easily that way. <laughs> and he had rachmanis. He had a list of uh, all the best bachrim. And he went from one to the other. He learned from one, one for a short while, and then another for a short while. So that they were taking turns so that it was bearable. And uh, that way... Slowly, slowly, he got to learning. He grew in learning. And meanwhile, the women in Grodna, who, this was a, a, a yeshiva city, right? This was a city that was built around the yeshiva, and all the women, all the families in, in the city had some connection to the yeshiva because they'd house the yeshiva bachim, and so they didn't have dormitories there, but they'd have given him place to sleep, and they'd give him cast, they'd give him a, a meal, a, 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 whatever it was, the evening meal of the day. And the women would prepare food for the Pacham to send to the Shiva. So the women of Grodna heard about this tremendous Masmid, Moshe the Masmid, who's in the base Medrash and doesn't leave the base Medrash. And they started preparing food and sending to him hot food. And uh, he ended up with more food than anyone else in the Shiva because of that. But uh, he didn't eat the food hot because it would take too long. He'd wait till it cool off. And anyhow, he would hardly sleep and hardly eat, hardly sleep and hardly eat. And, uh, but uh, he ended up with, he was the one that had meat every day, uh, it's a possibility, Shiva Bakrim. And he continued to grow and to grow that way. And uh, he actually came to Eretz Yisrael. He survived, I don't know whether he left before or after the war, but he survived. Rav Guzman also learned with him at the time. And he would tell us the stories about this amazing character and then how... He would argue with the Bachram in the base Medrash and he would get all upset if they didn't understand what he was saying and threaten them with giving, you know, slapping them or whatever. And <laughs> he was very strong. And most of them were afraid, but of course, but himself was quite strong and he wasn't afraid of him. He'd say, I'm going to slap you back if you slap me. So <laughs> they maintained a, a delicate peace. In any case, uh, after, the, after the war, uh, Rav Guzman went to America and then eventually... Uh, Eretz Yisrael, and this fellow, this uh, Rav Moshe, ended up uh, marrying the daughter of one uh, of, a, of a big Talmud Chacham, big tzaddik in Eretz Yisrael, and uh, became a Rav in a city called Karkor, which most of you probably haven't heard of. Most of it, most Israelis haven't heard of it. <laughs> it's near Anana. There's a city Karkor, and uh, then it was probably a much smaller city, and it's not known as a the city of Shomri Shabbos, anything in particular, but he was able to, to get a Parnassah there and to sit and learn, and he sat and learned. And one day, when Rav Guzman came to Eretz Yisrael, he's walking into his apartment, and he finds a fellow sitting with a Gemara on his doorstep. And he says, excuse me, and the fellow gets up and says, how do you learn this Gemara? <laughs> Rav Guzman says, uh, excuse me, you want to come inside and talk. He said, how did you learn this Gemara? So anyhow, I eventually got him inside and started talking. And it turned out that there was that Moshe Zeritsky. And after discussing the Gemara for a little while, Moshe tells Rav Guzman, what are you doing over here? And he said, well, I have Yeshiva. I opened the Yeshiva. And uh, the Kakura Rav, Moshe tells him, 
What are you wasting time with your Talmidim for? How are you going to sit and learn? Come with me to Karkur. No one bothers uh, me over there. No one will bother us. We can sit and learn together as much as we want. And you'll, you won't have any distractions. So Rukhusim said, look, uh, all my life I felt it. Uh, it's an important thing for me to teach and to teach Talmidim. I really would like to continue with this yeshiva here. Moshe says to him, if you don't come with me now, then you're a butlin. I'm never going to speak to you again. <laughs> and that's it. He turned around, slammed the door. Because we didn't hear from him again for at least 15 years or so. When I was in the yeshiva, I remember, Rukhusa married off the first granddaughter. And he invited, he sent an invitation to this Moshe Zaretsky. And he showed up. And the yeshiva had heard so much about this fellow. And there he was in, 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 in life, in, right, in full... Glory, and he was exactly the way the Rashiva described, and that's really what he was. It's absolutely amazing to watch. And after that, Rav Gusman invited him to say Shir in the Yeshiva. And I remember after the Shir, he got in an argument, and Rav Gusman told him, "But the Pshat that you learned in the Marshal—that's not really what it means." And, let's, and he said, "What do you mean? That's, don't you understand? I'll say it again. And <laughs> if you don't want to listen, I'm going to slap you." And Rav Gusman said, "I'm going to slap you back." <laughs> the Yeshiva was cracking up. In any case, but that's it. That's the way to grow. That, that's actually what uh, what the Yeshiva is all about. Obviously, that's taking it to extreme of some sort. And it's important to keep in mind that uh, teaching Talmidim isn't necessarily Bittal Tayyar. Rav Gusman certainly didn't see it that way. Rav Gusman certainly saw that uh, teaching Talmidim was part of his learning Torah as well. And uh, another of his expressions I heard countless times was, do you understand? He used to say over in the Shir that he had to the Talmidim, say it slowly and go through all the Maramakomos one by one and read through it with the Talmidim. Do you understand? He say, if you'd say a, a Svara, he'd give a logic to explain or to answer a question. He'd say, do you understand? If you don't understand, I'll say it over again. I'll say it over even a thousand times. And he really meant it. And uh, he would say, sometimes when it was said over and he, everyone seemed to understand, he'd say, well, yeah, you're from America, you could say it over in English, say it over in English so that, well, the Americans should be able to hear it, and you say it over in French, because you're, and it, it was something that was very much considered uh, part of learning Tyra, and obviously got that from Shimon Shkop himself, who saw it as an important part of his life to teach Talmidim. Uh, the, the, I heard from uh, Millworm that when Rav Gusman came originally to Eretz Yisrael, he came to Rechavia, which is where the yeshiva was set up, like a school marker said. And uh, he, at the time, the Godel Adar lived in Rechavia. It was a Chabina Rav. Chabina Rav was uh, pretty much acknowledged by all to be the the greatest uh, Saratara at the time. And he uh, invited the Rashiva to come to him for a Shabbos meal. When he came, the, the, at the meal, the, the Shabina Rav said, so, what are you here for? What are your plans? And he said, well, I plan to open yeshiva. I'd love to open yeshiva for Bachrim and uh, to be able to teach Tyre in Eretz Yisrael. That was my dream. So then the Shabina Rav turned to the Rebetzin. I wasn't able to know the Rebetzin. She was Mifta Bini not long before I came to the yeshiva. But uh, he turned to the Rebetzin and asked the Rebetzin, and what do you say? 
And she said, if he does that, I'm going to ask for a get, for a divorce. She said, so Shavina Rav asked her, why is that? She said, well, I didn't marry him for him to be busy building yeshivas. I married him to sit and learn. And I want to see that he's able to sit and learn with that distraction. So it's enough he has a yeshiva in America. Now he's going to have two yeshivas. He's going to have to run back and forth. And he's going to have to take care of uh, making sure that the needs of the Bacham here are taken care of the needs of the Bacham over there. He's not going to have time to learn. So uh, the Chapina Rav said, yeah, that's also a good time. So uh, the Chapina Rav said, I'll make a compromise. Every day you're going to set aside time, that between this time and that time, no, one's, no visitors are allowed to come. You're going to be sitting and learning without any distractions. And that way you'll be able to still learn even though you have the yeshiva. And the truth is that Tamidim uh, uh, certainly didn't see it as a distraction that he had uh, the extra yeshiva. And uh, the yeshiva that he had was basically the one in Eretz Yisrael, the one in America he had his son-in-law to take care of. So that worked out. But th- that's the way that the yeshiva saw it as... Uh, as part of his learning, that uh, teaching is also part of the le- part of learning and saying it over to the Talmidim until they understand. Everything was done slowly. Shirem weren't given by racing through a sugya and running and saying and trying to to grab the next Kiddush before they finish the first one, but everything was said very slowly and explained and made sure that everyone heard every part and every un- everyone understood every every part before going further. Uh, the... Another important part about uh, sitting and learning in yeshiva is, is the responsibility aspect. That uh, is also responsibility that we are the representatives of Kali that are sitting and learning Torah now without distraction. It's not just opportunity for ourselves; it's opportunity for Kali that we have in our hands. And this came out especially uh, especially clear when the. First Lebanon war broke out. I remember we were in, uh, I was in the yeshiva at the time. And uh, we had a number of uh, people that would come to Shiurim who were drafted to the army at the time. That, uh, but uh, they also, they were drafted to the army and uh, it was noticeable they weren't there. And I remember by the first year of Guzman quoted a Pasuk in Matos about B'nai God and B'nai Ruvain, when B'nai God and B'nai Ruvain came to Moshe Rabbeinu and said, look, we want to take a place for ourselves over here in Avar Yardin. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, what do you mean? All the Jews are going to Eretz Yisrael to conquer the land now. Ha'acheichem yavo lemilchoma v'atem teishvu po? Your brothers are going to go out to war and you're going to sit over here? So Rav Guzman explained that Moshe Rabbeinu's taina wasn't that they're going to stay behind, he was saying, Atem Teshvupo, you're going to be sitting over here, you're going to just be sitting. You have to take an achrayas, you have to feel responsibility for the rest of the, of the people. He said to us, right now there's a war going on, and you see that some of the Talmidim are out fighting with the tanks. We're going to sit over here when our brothers are going out to the war? How could that be? said, no, we're not sitting. We're going to make this into... Uh, we're going to take our learning so seriously now. This will be part of the war. This will be our part for the war effort. Our learning will be, if it was w- with Asmada before, it will be with double Asmada now. We're going to be feeling that we're in the middle of a war now. And that's, it won't be our temptation, Rupa. We're also going to be part of the Melchama. And uh, that, that's the way 
that he saw the responsibility of, of the yeshiva lights also for all of Klal Yisrael. So, uh, I'll tell a little bit about Derech Halimud, the, the way that Yavgusim would encourage us to learn. One thing that he would say often was about how he started to learn when he was young. He said, my father taught me how to learn. He'd take a Gemara, open it up, and take a piece of paper and cover up the Rashi. Another piece of paper and cover up the Tosas. He'd say, okay, Yisrael, Yisrael Zev, sit down now and learn the Gemara. And when you want to ex- explain Pshat, you think about it, and when you come out with a Pshat, you write it down on this side, this will be your Rashi. And then, if you have any questions on that, you write it down on the other side, and that will be your Tosfos. He said, that's the way, in other words, he's encouraging a person to take the Gemara as if it's not something that's being fed to you, that's being given, that's being, look, it's finished already, it's all done. No, this is, we are part of the development and uh, the growth of the Torah Shabbal Peh. In every generation, we're adding more. And he said, when I take off the paper and I look at Rashi, he said, if I'd say the same as Rashi, I'd be so proud, I'd say, look at that. I was mechavan to Rashi. I said exactly like Rashi. I could myself write a parish on the Gemara. I don't need Rashi. Uh, if it would come out to be different than Rashi, he'd say, look, I found a better parish than Rashi. <laughs> he, he would encourage people that when it came to Divrei Torah, to learning Torah, the person should feel the yigba libo The person should feel the gaiva of, uh, when it comes to learning. The gaiva meaning that person should be proud of what he learns and proud of, of what he understands in learning. And... Uh, if uh, it's true that many uh, thousands of people and over thousands of years have learned the same Gemara, but that doesn't mean that what we have is trivial and that what, what we understand is trivial. We could come up with our understandings. And that's uh, what's uh, important about the way that we learn, that we're learning and we're taking this. This is going to be our Gemara. This is our, going to be our, whatever it is, Rashi tells us, we shown him, we're going to learn it, we're going to try and understand it. And if we have problems... So it's a legitimate question. Let's ask someone. If someone tells us, look, hey, you haven't learned enough here, that's not a legitimate question. Why not? Try to understand. And a person has to grow from that. That's what a person uh, grows from. The And the way to grow is to learn it, uh, learn it at one's own pace. Nobody's rushing us. It's true. There's a lot to learn. But... Says, uh, like we say, that lo alecha amalecha ligmar, right? That um, it says uh, there's there's a lot to do, but we don't have to finish all of it. We have to do whatever Hakadosh Baruch Hu gave us to do at the time, right? And during 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 the time that He gave us, lo alecha amalecha ligmar. And if we go with that attitude, then we're not rushing to try to finish the shas and finish the this. Now, it's true, Rav <coughs> Gusun used to say about the Talmidim by Rav Shimon, that he said that when Rav Shimon gave shir in a winter, the winter session was a longer session, and he said, so he gave shir in Bav Metziah, remember that the last shir was on Tukfa Koyin, which was Davvav Amad Aleph. He got up to Davvav Aleph by the last shir, and that was on a leap year. But he said, the Bachrin, we would go through the whole Masechta, we'd go through it by Hanukkah, he said the good Bachim would already be finished with the Masechta. So that means that, on the one hand, a person has to have the backgrounds, so you have to be able to become familiar with the subjects, but for the Seder of understanding and of learning, 
that a person has to do at his own pace. Now, Dafyomi has advantages and has disadvantages in that sense. The advantage being that sometimes a person doesn't isn't self-disciplined enough to know that at a certain time, every day, I'm going to take off time and do this and this. And if a person has a shear for Dafyomi, then he knows he's going to go. Sometimes a person could get caught up and, and stuck with... with uh, with uh, discussions that are, really end up being side discussions or or just trying to, you know, coming up against a brick wall and, and, and keeping on pushing against a brick wall when he really needs more information in order to go further. So Tafyomi takes you through. And you, it also gives a tremendous sense of accomplishment because after a certain number of months, a person finishes a Masechta. One after the other, and then after seven and a half years, a person finishes shas. It's a phenomenal thing, but it's not necessarily a replacement for a private Ian seder, because a person that's able to learn at his own pace doesn't have to to do a omer a day. He's not. It hasn't been written for him. This is what we're doing today. This is what, and you have to get into from here to here today. Rather, he can learn at his pace to understand. Well, I didn't get this point. Well, let me think it over. Discuss it with a chavrusa. It's very important to have a chavrusa for for ninety five percent of people. I, I would say it's very important to have a chavrusa because it's harder to focus for long periods of time by oneself. Although for certain types of learning, a person could do by himself and could accomplish more by himself. But in general, Chazal say that a person that learns by himself doesn't always succeed in learning that way. Some people daf could do. But it's, it's not for everyone, and it's not for every type of learning that a person chooses. So in any case, when a person does have opportunity to find the Chavrusa with either someone on his own level or someone on a, a higher level, or maybe someone on a lower level that he's teaching, then a person could learn at his own pace and not let anything push him. That, that's the advantage of the other type of seder. So I would say that it's true that a person... It's, it's very encouraging for a person to have this Tafyomi Seder so that he knows that he, he, he's not going to give it up for anything. He's making a wedding, making a bris, doesn't make a difference. But the other, on the other hand, to have a Seder where a person could learn and could feel the tire is his, it could feel that he's growing from it, he's, he's adding his own Chedushim. It doesn't have to be a big Chedush, it could be a tiny Chedush. But he's, this is a, a, a Gemara that I added something to. Could be other people added it before him. It doesn't make a difference. This is now my Gemara because I came up with some new ways of learning it. In any case, uh, this the, the the amount to be gained from taking advantage of the yeshiva years and from taking advantage of uh, gaining a derech alimud, learning learning Torah seriously, are are immeasurable. Of course, in Olam Haba, we're not talking about. I'm talking about in this world. Uh, Guzman used to say that a lamdin, a lamdin means a person that knows how to think the way the Gemara teaches to think. A lamdin, says, a lamdin isn't just a person that learns Gemara with lamdas. A lamdin's entire life is different. Whenever he makes a business decision, it's different. Whenever he relates to another person, it's different. A lamdin is a person that's able to think the way a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants us to think. And that's what a person gains by learning enough Gemara in order to be able to really understand what the Gemara is teaching us and how the Gemara is telling us to think. And the pleasure of, uh, of learning Gemara and, and coming out with understanding, right, that Eureka, that light lighting up, 
is is really unmatched. I don't think you know, in my years I haven't yet found anything else that could match it and that, that could give a similar type of a of a high as uh, learning something and coming up with either, whether it's you know, one's own pshat or just understanding what uh, a Rishon said, what Achron said, with some, and suddenly everything is seen in a different light. And uh, besides that, there's the Lulei Saraska Shashuai Ozavad Tibani of Guzman survived the war. What he went through in in, in the war is is untellable. It's uh, it's it's really beyond any any description. He was in the Vilna ghetto, and uh, he he was he he was uh, he was caught by the Nazis, and he was. Uh, Tortured in so many different ways. It's a, in any case, it's a whole different story. But when he was under a barn for months, hiding from the Nazis under under in a barn of of, uh, of animals, he just went over mesechtas by heart, one after the other, and you know, time after time. Now, not everyone could do that. He was he was able to do that, but. Uh, the, the Torah that a person learns keeps a person encouraged, keeps a person with a with a direction for all of his life. Whether whatever you know, everyone goes through. Unfortunately, times that are more depressing, times that are less depressing, happy times and lolenu times that are not happy. And sometimes he needs something to pick him up. The Torah is always going to be there for us to be able to pick us up, to be able to keep us going, and to take us further. Until the next time that we're able to as Hashem, uh, regain, you know, stand on our feet again, again in service Hashem the way we're supposed to. Should all be zoicha Hashem to become landonim, to be able to make a kinyan on the Torah and have the Torah take us through life the way that Rav Gusman taught us.